Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I speak with Sherelle Dorsey, data journalist, social entrepreneur, and the founder and CEO of The Plug. The Plug is a distinctive Black tech news and insights platform that covers Black innovators in tech, venture capital, future of work policy, and more. Sherelle has scaled her new media startup to thousands of subscribers, hundreds of paid members, and she's raised over half a million dollars in equity-free capital. Amazing. Sherelle shares her poignant personal journey, how she's been doing in the midst of the devastating impacts of the pandemic, and her phenomenal professional ascension from working for designers and content marketing firms at the intersection of commerce and social media to finding her true shine in tech journalism. She's contributed to Fast Company, The Root, Next City, and many, many others. And recently, she launched season one of the Clark Street Project, a narrative episodic podcast that details the evolution of Black business news and entrepreneurship coverage and the journalists who've led the charge. She examines the legacy of the Associated Negro Press, originally housed on Clark Street in Chicago's South Side. Just over 100 years ago, this network of committed journalists across the diaspora elevated Black voices, businesses, politics, and insights across 200 Black-owned news outlets. Now, Sherelle and I had such a free-flowing and organic conversation that I completely went off script and neglected to ask her to talk about the Clark Street Project. So I'll have a little more to say about it at the end of the episode. One of the most empowering moments to listen out for is when Sherelle reminds us that the pandemic hasn't changed the mission. It hasn't changed the mission for Black innovators and entrepreneurs, and she offers some strategies not only for surviving, but thriving as we prepare for the fourth industrial revolution and future of work in the tech world. If you're listening to this on the release date, November 3rd, 2020, then I hope you've already voted or are on your way to vote or are in line and listening to this to pass the time. Look, get out and vote. Our collective future depends on our individual participation in democracy. So let's make anyone who's ever been disenfranchised proud. Do it for yourself. Do it for them. Do it for our future. Okay, remove all distractions and prepare to be inspired and energized. It's time to listen, learn, and leverage. So let's get started. Today, I'm so very excited to welcome Sherelle Dorsey to Tech Intersect. She's a data journalist, an extremely successful social entrepreneur, an all-around brilliant and bright light in tech and innovation and journalism. 
She's the founder and CEO of The Plug. It's a distinctive Black tech news and insights platform. It covers Black innovators in tech, venture capital, the future of work policy, and more. You all know if you've been riding with me for a minute, those are all the things all of my synapses are firing. So I'm excited for that and more. Cheryl's also graced the stages of every stage around the world when we were actually doing that sort of thing before COVID. (laughs) South by Southwest, Amazon, Chamber of Commerce. Brookings Institute and more. And she, in 2018, as many of you will know, was named one of CNET's most inspiring women. And if you don't already know why, you're about to find out. So we'll talk all about that and more. But first, Sherelle, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It really is a privilege and an honor to join you today. I appreciate you. And there's just so much going on, the energy of this moment in time in 2020. We're winding down in Q4. I feel it. I know my students feel it. I suspect with the high octane energy that you pour into everything you do, we don't know each other personally, but I feel like you know know you from the Twitters um, and I can see your hustle and flow. So you are, you know, it's a high octane endeavor that you always seem to be involved in. So before we even get into all of that, how are you. Most times when you see someone who's out there doing the most, people don't check in on you because they look at what appears to be a perfectly carefully constructed and awesome life. And I'm sure you do have an awesome life, but that doesn't mean you feel awesome all the time. Um, Or I'll speak for myself. So literally and authentically, how are you in this moment? I love that question. I think because you're right. I think when a lot of us who are high energy people doing a lot, doing the most, as you say, (laughs) You know, folks don't necessarily think that we have days where we're not doing so well. And I think especially just in this pandemic, even every conversation I try to have in my, you know, Zoom calls or what have you, I do try to ask that question first. How are you holding up? How are you managing? What have you just to have more of that human connection? So, you know, this has been a very tough year. Um, I keep mentioning how it's been my worst, best year. It's been great. Right. Professionally, um, my, my work has really uh, taken off. Um, I think my my voice, my ideas, things like that have really been recognized. And I've had an opportunity to partner with incredible brands, incredible professionals, and just connect with some phenomenal folks and companies doing incredible things. Mm-hmm. And then just personally, it has definitely been a roller coaster. Um, I lost my father to COVID. And so that mm. was a pause um, amid you know, trying to maintain and manage a lot of mm-hmm. work, um, plus just trying to process that and watching mm-hmm. others deal with their loved ones um, suffering in a variety of ways, be it through job loss or what have you. So I, I try to kind of, despite some of the tragedy and, you know, mm-hmm. the trauma that this year has brought, even just from a, a, a racial and, and social context, I try to just wake up every day and do as much as I can. And for the mm-hmm. that I need to be a little softer with myself, then I, I take a break, um, be that taking a break from social media or right. giving myself permission to go get a very decadent apple t- upside down. <laughs> you better do it. <laughs> if you don't do it, it won't get done. Absolutely. absolutely. But I, I will say this year has forever changed me. Um, it, it's made me compassionate in a way that I don't think I, I had really placed the emphasis on what it truly means to be human amid mm. trauma and a challenging social and political climate. And, um, you know, other than that, you know, I have my health 
I have an incredible family, incredible friends mm-hmm. that are coming through to visit every week. So that's been amazing. Um, and, yes. you know, despite all the challenges, um, I know that I am beyond blessed. And I, I, the stillness of being in the middle of the pandemic and having to be very stationary has allowed me to think so much more about my work and the work mm-hmm. of business and being able to curl up with books and and research papers and just do more, you know, distraction, less, uh, you know, just discovery. Um, and I right. think it's been my happy place thus far. Wow. The, the, uh, the broken openness of your experience this year really exemplifies, you know, this thing called life. And, you know, I've had a lot of successes in this year as well. And certainly did not experience the same level of loss. And, and yet sometimes with the, with the wins, I feel a little like survivor's remorse in some sense, or with the epic loss of life and of money, in some sense, opportunity. We'll talk about all the opportunities that remain in a moment. You're right about being kind to yourself and still, we, we've all been forced to be still. There's still some people moving at a meteoric pace, but for the most part, everybody is now listening to my Nana, who's no longer here, but she would tell us all, go sit down somewhere. And this pandemic has certainly caused us to do that. So thank you for sharing. And also that will provide other people some inspiration in your story, to be sure. That leads in a bit to your origin story of how you entered the tech space and journalism. I understand you are a new wildcat at Northwestern as well. I graduated from Northwestern. So talk to me about that. Yeah. First of all, like you wildcats come hard. <laughs> oh yeah. We go hard in the paint. We go hard in the yeah, paint. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the moment it was announced, I had so many incredible messages from alumni. So I'm like, wow, like y'all, y'all are the goats. <laughs> the cat doesn't say. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I've had some really incredible opportunities through the years. Um, I'm from Seattle originally, and I really got a, a series of different introductions to this space of not just technology, but my overall capabilities of who I was and who I am. Right. Um, you know, I was raised in a single parent household, um, you know, with, with my mom, who was originally from Detroit and um, just really had these great aesthetics of Blackness throughout our home. You know, she kind mm. of grew up in that era of like post-revolutionary, uh, you know, just, just truly into Afrocentricism and Pan-Africanism and mm-hmm. community connections. You can imagine like Seattle, you know, being a very, very low percentage of Black folks, but it was also a thriving environment in the 70s and 80s, which is kind of how my grandfather got to Seattle was through, uh, you know, a job at Boeing, um, like most, mm. uh, you know, kind of middle-class Black folks who were able to land those kind of gigs. And he eventually retired from like King TV, but um, just just a man with a background in electronics, from the military and just continue to build things, um, including just continuing to build on his house. So I just remember being young and, and me and my cousins constantly like going with grandpa to the hardware store because he built right. the garage and then him like helping me and my cousin with like our science projects. And like we built like a robotic arm once and, you know, <laughs> that go to um, and was also like you know, also like just super, just a, a technophile. And, and he always had the latest gadget or thing. And mm. we bought our first computers. And so I always kind of credit him with that introduction. And and I think my mom continuing to ensure that like we had 
what we needed to have a level of connection. Um, and, you know, I was, I was raised in an environment where, you know, black women were the leads. And so mm-hmm. our aunts to the, you know, to, to, to Char at uh, the dance studio who let me start teaching uh, tap when I was 12 and, <laughs> you know, like earning money that way and like helping to pay for school clothes or just saving money in general. I had these fortunate opportunities to really learn from black women what it meant to be entrepreneurial. Um, and these were women also who like ran hair salons and what right. have you, but I always thought they were just so fly because it's like they <laughs> on their own terms. And I was like, what is that? Cause like, I, mm. I don't like to be told no um, whatsoever. And so just throughout middle school, high school, like I was class president, I was always running some kind of business offering from designing websites to business cards, um, helping people like pull their ideas together, working Mm -hmm. on hair salons to, you know, helping to manage, you know, clients and answer phones and just kind of the, the the humbleness, right. Of working in a hair salon and sweeping up hair and what have you, um, into being able to be part of a computer programming initiative called the technology access foundation that was started in the, in the late nineties by one of my mentors and, and who um, I still just refer to one of the most pivotal folks in my life, Trish Malanzaziko, who had mm. retired from Microsoft as a software engineer and, you know, decided to convert a storefront into a training center. So kids of color in the inner city could learn technology and mm. programming and systems administration on top of learning how to interview and pass the whiteboard test. And on top mm-hmm. of top of also getting exposure to various college options. And so that experience going after school is completely free, going after school to learn things like JavaScript, uh, C-sharp programming, network administration, like completely for free each year, getting a college scholarship and being able to work at Microsoft. Like that was unprecedented in the early 2000s. Mm. And that completely set and charted the course on top of the integration of what I had learned from the black woman in my life about creating something that you love and serving other, serving your community, so to speak. So that really is my origin story. And going off to college was such an experiment for me. I knew that I wanted to to do something that would give me a sense of independence and charting my own territory. But, you know, as you're young and your world is so small and eventually you, you just have to keep experimenting. So I had the opportunity. I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology of all places, mm. but I loved it because it mixed art and fashion. And you had these 20 somethings who were building businesses and you had folks like Calvin Klein and Giorgio Armani and Betsy Johnson coming to visit and talking about their early days of starting their companies. And like, it was just a treasure trove. I mean, you had, um, these big corporate executives hosting their events like ad week and stuff there. So it's like a social media was starting to become a thing. Like right. I'm volunteering to run, you know, I'm, I'm volunteering to run social media volunteer at these conferences that were on campus and just being able to hear and be approximate to some of these executives talking about the future of marketing and consumer driven marketing. And so it was such a rich in the New York city in of itself, just being such a rich and dynamic experience I knew that I I needed something that was going to accelerate my learning and accelerate my ability and confidence to believe that I could start something from nothing. Um, And through the years, I've I've worked for various fashion and beauty brand startups, um, mostly within the context of marketing or Mm e-commerce. I eventually took kind of a a break um, during the, the recession to figure out, like, how do I apply this now to the context of systemic change? 
particularly mm. communities of color, where innovation isn't always what describes our communities. Um, our communities are kind of described as problem centers. And right. so um, I did a one-year fellowship in Connecticut and worked for a mayor of Bridgeport at the time and just really got to see what policy and challenge and political fighting, just how it destroys. And then eventually went over to Uber and the Google Fiber in Charlotte. So I've lived kind of all around the country, currently in Atlanta now. Um, and just a few years ago, I launched The Plug. And, you know, we do this reporting on Black innovation um, and, and startups and the economy and contributions and just big ideas and new ideas and present ideas that need more critique. So it's been it's been a journey. It's been a journey. It's amazing. And I hear so much, you know, because I have a million questions, of course, but they are all informed by, in fact, your origin story that your story has its genesis in the entrepreneurial spirit and also lifelong learning, early adapter, leading edge, um, the curiosity that leads to innovation that spurs progress. And so that's all really fascinating and exciting to hear, not just what led up to you being you, right? But then taking that baton and running forward in so many fantastic ways. So that is why every move that you make seems to be informed with a level of intentionality around activism and empowerment for Black and Brown entrepreneurs. And simultaneously, your story of being a Black entrepreneur, a woman of color moving in the space, forging your own trail is really, really important. Um, another thing that I hear is the what happens when you have proximity to people who are are doing a thing, right? To have proximity to those who are already forging their own trails and what you learn, how you are informed, how your path is informed by being around folks like that. It makes me think of, and I mentioned before we hopped on that there are congratulations in order. We're going to talk about the plug in a minute, but I want to give a plug to the uh, Women of Color Star Venture Scout Program. You are a member of its inaugural Venture Scout cohort. Talk to me about that. They're recognizing your cohort as the new generation of leaders that will advance women of color and their particular commitment to investing in meaningful capital for women of color. Uh, You've also raised some money in your life as well. What, What does that mean to you in honor like this? I think it's such a great opportunity considering the spaces I've been able to be in, particularly with getting much more intimate with communities and founders who are building incredible things. And Mm -hmm. so when Gayla Jennings had reached out to me, she and I had met once before in person in I want to say it South by Southwest, like back in 2016, and we'd follow each other's work through the years. And so when she had reached out to connect and to tell me about this new fund, I had no idea she would invite me to actually become a scout. Mm. So that was great because the last couple of months I've been thinking, you know, I'd love to learn a bit more about investing in venture capital and find a way to really connect the folks that I am meeting that I think are incredible with more than just an opportunity to write a story about them. And, um, and then not that that hasn't been impactful because like all the time I get 
entrepreneurs who say, hey, you know, you featured us in your startups to watch and we had investors reach out to us. Um, we know that there's some really mm-hmm. good friends that follow the plug and subscribe and what have you. Um, so this presented itself as an awesome opportunity with a great mission, particularly around ensuring that there are more dollars committed to women of color who are traditionally undercapitalized by venture capital and having a resource that is truly representing them in the mission of expanding opportunity for them as they're building their mm-hmm. businesses. And so um, so it, it feels like an alignment. Um, and sometimes I think like once you put something there, that energy out there, it kind of comes to you and in different kinds of ways. And so this was such a, such a unique opportunity. I feel like for me, it will be a tremendous learning opportunity mm-hmm. and um, truly an opportunity to learn from some of the more seasoned investors and, and Gala coming from a Wall Street background. Like there's just language and things that can be very intimidating as someone who's a journalist on the other end, but understanding money and equity, all of those kinds of things, um, you know, as someone who has recently raised some seed, some angel money, I should say, um, and walked mm-hmm. into more of a seed round, you're never not learning about how deals are structured or, um, or how, you know, capital will make itself as much as useful as possible, um, particularly, you know, during a time where it seems like business is really, really hard and challenged by the current environment. But right. um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of this team and to just learn and then take those learnings and translate them into my work, um, as well as, you know, enabling opportunities for other founders who, you know, are, are looking for capital and are a good fit for the fund, um, ensuring that I can help to bridge those connections. We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first, a word on an exciting opportunity. There's a more cost-effective and time-efficient way to reach your leading-edge learning and earning goals, to put you ahead of the stiff competition in this fast-paced, tech-driven economy. You need skills, credentials, and a fast track to a competitive advantage. You need it now more than ever, and I can help. The Advantage Evans Method puts you ahead of the curve with condensed comprehensive online courses, curated content to leverage your current skills and expertise, live coaching, networking opportunities, and more. Upcoming courses include From Cash to Crypto to Help You Buy Your First Bitcoin, and there are two ways to get your advantage. Advantage Evans Encore gives you maximum experience for your total competitive advantage and access for one year. It includes a live welcome and modules on terminology, buying and selling, exchanges, mining, earning crypto, trading and investing, and also several of the legal issues you need to know in order to be safe and secure as you enter this space. That includes tax compliance, how to plan for a Bitcoin estate, and securities laws to make sure you avoid any legal unforced errors. Now, Advantage Core gives you the essentials. It's a short course to give you what you want and the support you need to buy your first crypto in as little as three weeks with access to the information and replays for three months. And if you're not quite ready for your Advantage and want a sneak peek to try before you buy, then register for a free masterclass where I share my Crypto 101 success checklist and cover current hot topics in crypto. So there truly is something for everyone, including you, to get in on the fast track and learn and earn in the digital economy. Visit AdvantageEvans.com to get started. That's AdvantageEvans.com. 
And now, back to the conversation. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. That's brilliant. And it leads to a discussion about what your work is specifically with the plug. You all can find that at tpinsights.com. I will drop all of the connections in the show notes. But talk to us about your unapologetic coverage of Black and Brown communities and innovation, the future of work, and why it's so important in this particular moment in time. We are here in Q4, as we said, of this unbelievable pandemic, not just as a matter of health, which is obvious, and finance as well, but also the social climate that is bubbling up in the context of this election and what the future holds. So many people are unsettled. And whenever that happens for all people, we know that Black and Brown communities and those who are traditionally underestimated are going to experience that in a uniquely devastating way. So that makes the work that you're doing so much more important and impactful. But but let's talk about the plug and what your vision of it was and, and what it has come to be. Absolutely. Um, I always tell people that, you know, I had never initially had had started out to create the plug as an actual business or something that I'd be able to make a living from. My goal had simply been to translate what I was learning in my professional career and attending these conferences and finding a way to talk about Black folks and Brown folks in the context of the global business environment in the same way that I was having conversations about everyone else in tech on a similar pathway. So um, for me, going from a daily newsletter on Monday through Friday as kind of a labor of love as I was working full time uh, was really about how do we start to change the conversation from a deficit narrative where the headlines in the media, you know, fodder that we read was very deficit driven. It was very much like, here's where we're not, here's where we're Mm -hmm. lacking, here's the deficits what have you into something that wasn't necessarily positive from like a fluff piece perspective. Like I definitely didn't want to just try to like only talk about all the good things, but it was more so of how do we create much more range and nuance in the way that we talk about black and brown businesses and what's happening in communities as it relates to innovation and workforce and future of work, future of tech, future of business. Um, Why are we only relegated to either like the mystical, magical black person that made it, right? right? That kind of like one, you know, anomaly um, out of so many other people who are doing great work as well, or it was just completely like, hey, let's keep having the same conversation about how systemic and state sanctioned racism has completely affected our economic abilities to fund and build our companies. And I just felt like neither of those perspectives are the most useful. Um, we've been talking about the lack of funding for Black and Brown founders forever. <laughs> and right. I think that we we know it. And I think that we can keep monitoring the pennies uh, day by day. But I don't know how useful that is. 
and I, I could be wrong. I think that, you know, the data helps to call people out, but I also think that we have to be mindful of the way in which we use data um, in a much more imaginative narrative um, because again like we aren't monoliths and there's an entire global community of black folks that have very very similar challenges but i think that we have to take a look at what other ranges and perspectives and ideas and identities help us to think much more creatively about how we circumvent some of the discriminatory practices that affect our, our daily lives and i you know i i always liken that to you know you know, black and brown folks always having been the, the true hustlers, right? Mm. I think about my aunt and cousin living with us for a bit. And, you know, I think about, you know, the ways in which my mom and aunts, you know, from a single parent perspective, you know, were able to send us all to the same private school for a few years. And they created this like very complex logistics oriented, like carpool <laughs> system. And, you know, and, and, and so I think about, yeah, maybe these things are barriers for us, but we always find a way to get to where we need to go. And I think that um, the the journalism, um, which I think like we've lost so much in the name of media. I think right. before like the that like the 2010s was all about just size and clickability and contributions and everyone kind of having a byline on the site that wasn't truly vetted or strategic. I think we were trying to get away from this like gatekeeper mentality, but then we mm. didn't have any checks and balances around ethics or business or depth. And so I, I'm, I knew that for me, I wanted the plug to be a place for range and for deep thinking and for uh, conversations that uh, were expansive. And I think we're still growing into that and trying to figure mm-hmm. out how our differentiation allows us to play in a field that coexists with other publications that are working harder to develop much more coverage of what's happening with Flax and Tech. Mm-hmm. But I think for us, like our, our distinction and my conviction quite personally is that there's so much to say, there's so much to imagine. Um, and from like an Afrofuturist perspective, we have the ability to to think about wherever it is that we want to go. And we don't always have to focus on what we don't receive because it's not as, as useful to the Black imagination, um, let alone the world imagination. So I hope I answered your question because I feel like I did yeah. a, a rant. But, <laughs> but no, <laughs> we have all the soapboxes. You stand up there as long as you uh, need to because it's it's what we need. It's so important, you know, just as a matter of energy and intention and focusing on what we want and don't want. And I don't think it's an either or proposition. I think two things can be true. You know, we can approach it with a both and. Yes, we will have the metrics and the data to hold people accountable. And at the same time, we will continue in our excellence to forge our own path and then make sure that we are bringing people up as we move forward. And so all of those things are are incredibly important. And I know that you also focus on trends, both with the plug, but also evidently in your recent summit. And I was uh, reading a bit about it before our time together. And much of what you just said expresses itself in the trends that will move us forward, right? Trends in growing Black innovation, what that looks like in the context of the devastation of COVID-19's financial and health impact, but also the opportunity born. I I work in the blockchain and crypto assets space. I I teach blockchain, cryptocurrency, and law, and I have a, a platform to help educate 
people, particularly black and brown women in the space, to move into Web3 technologies generally, but blockchain and crypto legally and, and confidently. And so, so much of being future forward means we have an opportunity in the Web3 build in a way that we may have missed out on when I think of the dot-com boom and the 90s and in the early 2000s. Here we are again with another iteration of the internet with all of these new technologies that intellectually we can, and, and academically we can talk about as being agnostic, but we know that people are building these systems, people are coding. And if we're not involved in all aspects of that build, then we may suffer a similar fate. But the other side of that coin, and to your point, is there's a great opportunity. So what trends do you see specifically for Black and Brown communities in, in Web 3.0 when we think about the future of technology, the future of work? I think there are so many opportunities. I think that particularly in future of work, the time really is now to take advantage of this kind of breakdown of the university system. Mm-hmm. This kind of online credentialing and company specific credentialing is such a great opportunity for us to like open up our laptops, dedicate ourselves to a schedule and get these certificates from the, Absolutely. the Googles, the Amazons, whatever it is like. Then the next six months, getting these onto your resume and stacking them into your LinkedIn profile. Like, I think it's going to be a wild, wild west out here. And I always also encourage um, like students and even just family members, like building your social capital is definitely going to be very different. Your strategy has to be different going forward in terms of how you build relationships. But there's so many great initiatives that are dedicating themselves, particularly to like hiring black and brown folks, training black and brown folks, career consulting, coaching, what have you. I think it's important for us to be thinking about how do we secure our financial futures, right? And like how that changes the way that we live, how we bank. I think the future of banking is changing drastically. And I think the Black and brown folks in fintech are pretty stellar as well in terms of the offerings that they're providing, even down to black and brown folks or, or those who are in communities that traditionally have only payday loans. Um, mm-hmm. So what that's going to look like, the opportunity to grow um, from a financial literacy standpoint. I think also just from a, a medical perspective, of course, like telemedicine completely changing and shifting what we have access to in terms of healthcare um, and, and even how that translates into therapy and things like that. I think where it is really tough, I don't want to, you know, try to try to usurp the my, my nerdiness for where <laughs> with the very harsh realities of like some people getting evicted or losing jobs um, right. that those are very, very real concerns. And I think that it is time to be strategic, whether it is, you know, I remember 10 years ago when I graduated from college, you know, it's like I lost my my first job out of college about six months into my job. And so I can no longer pay for my apartment. So I had to give it up and I had to move home for a year and just kind of Mm -hmm. group and kind of figure out like, okay, I'm freelancing, you know, I'm, you know, staying at my mom's, I'm trying to figure out life. And, you know, I think that it, the the consolidation of resources and figuring out what do you actually need to do your work um, or to make yourself marketable and competitive, you get down to those core tenants. And so I think it's a great opportunity to reassess what is my lifestyle like? Where can I potentially make, I don't even want to say cutbacks, but make some modifications. Mm. Um, and then where also do I get the opportunity to be still and learn the things that maybe I'm a bit fuzzy on? And, you know, what does my content stack look like? Am I, what am I subscribed to? What am I reading? Um, how am I setting up virtual coffee chats with people each week? Um, you know, there's, there's, 
there's a there's a restructuring of the way we're thinking about life, we're thinking about society, uh, and I think that's 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 a good thing. Um, and I think that the black innovators and and the thinkers and the designers are are really starting to get their greater visibility and just do for the things that they've been talking about and building on for years. And, yes. um, and, and so I think we're starting to see, I mean, even like today, like PayPal putting $50 million into um, black owned venture firms, you know, we've seen mm. this, this lift of so many other firms now who are started by black folks who are, you know, creating five, 10, 15, $25 million funds and up um, who are starting to see, you know, some pretty quick traction. Um, you're starting to see, uh, more companies make these very big and bold commitments to partnerships with HBCUs or, um, you know, just in general, like modifying their hiring practices or recruiting practices. So I think from here, you know, we go into a much more expansive world. Um, of course, it's still not perfect. <laughs> still right. not perfect. We still have to kind of, you know, as I say, keep your foot on the gas. Um, you know, like we're still going to have to be responsible in that way. But I think, you know, right now, um, especially having closed the summit, you know, there's just ample opportunity for us across all spectrums and levels and industries to, I think, take us take a step up or step up and say, what is it that we want to create um, and how do we do that remotely? How do we do that with minimal resources, but still create something of excellence? It's beautiful and so well said and in many important suggestions about how to, you know, I think pivot is kind of overused this year, but we're going to, we're going to rock with it to first sit still and then to reimagine, let's, let's say reimagine not only where you are in this moment, but what is possible in the future. And you made a really important point about the change in education. And I've, it's always highly controversial, evidently for a professor who earned tenure Years ago, I'm, I'm in my mid-career at this point, but the way that we are educating people is over. And it was over before the pandemic, and it absolutely will be over as we move forward. It is not about blue collar or white collar. It's about new collar. And to your point about the skilled professionals, so really focusing on acquiring, especially if they're free 99. I love a good free 99 program. So all, any certificate, credentialing, digital badge that, as you said, could be added on LinkedIn so you can raise your game and in, in your public facing profile to really position yourself to be, be ahead of the curve. The time to do that, you know, the future is right now. The future that you will enjoy in six months or six years is the one that you, you are intentional about today. Um, and so I appreciate that very much. Final thoughts, comments as we roll out. I could talk to you all day. You're now my friend in my head. Not just in my head now, sort of IRL. Um, but I appreciate your energy and your spirit. What, what are we going to leave the good people with today? Yeah, I say, you know, just keep learning. Continue to learn. And I think that a lot of times people think that I have these grand answers. And I realize, like, mm -hmm. I, I have to mention more so that, like, I'm learning from incredible people. And I keep an incredible cohort of researchers and informatics experts and data scientists and engineers and, and interior designers and career coaches around me to help me continue to push my thinking and to expose me to worlds and information that I normally wouldn't have access to. And so I, I'm trying to do my best with positioning that within my work. And I'm excited for 
where the plug is going to go next. Um, there's some there's a sense of freedom in being able to have raised a little bit of money to hire a team and bring on more yes. capacity because before it was like this is just Sherelle's world and now yes <laughs> I get to bring in all these other people who think differently who come from different environments who have an understanding of things in ways that help me to get more refined in certain spaces so um so I you know I I, I definitely encourage folks to go to tpinsights.com check out the plug sign up for a free weekly briefing and also consider becoming a pro member and, and that just gives you access to our data libraries and an opportunity to also have more member calls um, collectively to, to to keep up on the trends of what's happening in Black innovation. And so I am just super, super excited about our growing community and, you know, that the pandemic did not end the mission, you know, right. I'm blessed every day to say like, hey, when I thought my, my business might completely shutter, it, it grew um, exponentially. So I am, uh, I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for every single person that um, decides to take their learning to another level and become subscribers to our work. Well, I'm all in and I need this on a t-shirt. The pandemic did not end the mission. Nope. Uh, that, <laughs> if you it anywhere else, they took it from Sherelle and that's real talk. And we will leave it there. Uh, I appreciate the way you move in the world. I'm really excited for you. And because of you, I'm really excited for the world. Uh, it's not an overstatement to say you're making an impact. And sometimes you may not be able to see it, but I want to affirm for you that the work you're doing is, is some good trouble. And um, I'm looking forward to see see what comes next. Very, very honored. I'm really grateful that we were able to connect. And um, thank you again for having me. This, is, uh, this has been really awesome. Wow. What an inspiring conversation with Sherelle Dorsey. I loved all of her insights. See what I did right there. And without question, her contributions, her energy, her spirit, her authenticity are exactly what the world needs right about now. Be sure to check out The Plug and also The Clark Street Project that revisits the legacy of the Negro Associated Press and takes a closer look at the ways Black journalists, storytellers, and entrepreneurs have shaped and continue to shape our world. In these episodes, Sherelle and her team from The Plug sit down with leading voices to discuss the Black builders of the 90s digital landscape. We hear additional perspectives on the legacy of Tulsa's Greenwood District and how Black business ownership shaped generations and the ways digital platforms impact how Black communities interact. Sherelle also explores how the court's separate but equal decision changed the course of Black journalism forever. It's four episodes of pure historical gold with long-form interviews for TP Insights members, so please, please, please visit theclarkstreetproject.com for more information. I'll also have a link in the show notes. Speaking of which, final housekeeping notes. Please take a moment to like, comment, and share this episode and this podcast with your networks. Follow me on social means and let me know what topics you'd like to hear more of and who you'd like to hear more from. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media on Twitter at at Tech Intersect. 
and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.